0: Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, we're on to this last section of the Lord's Prayer, this request for God not to bring us into stretching, but instead to deliver us from evil. So we spent, you know, some of you said weeks looking at stretching, because as we were preaching about stretching, you were going through uh, times of stretching, uh, and now we're on to this request for God to deliver us from evil so let's read the lord's prayer this morning and let's pray for for understanding of the depths of this request of god to deliver us from evil let's stand together uh, as we read the word and then we'll pray jesus says this pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and and we are lifting up this prayer, Father. We pray, God, uh, that you today would show us what it means when we ask you to deliver us from evil. And, Father, I pray that you do. I pray that you deliver us from the evil outside us, from the evil around us, from the evil inside us. Father, I pray that you would purge evil from among us, that we might be holy without spot or blemish or any such thing. Wash us with the water of your word today, just as you promise you will do through your son Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're here looking at this last request, deliver us from evil. What does that mean? What are we asking God to do? When we ask him to deliver us from evil. So we started last week kind of looking at the battle uh, against sin, the battle uh, against evil. And, and we looked at last week, it, 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 we got through half of our notes last week. We, we looked at what is uh, sin, you know, what is evil. Uh, if you're going to ask God to deliver you from evil, you have to at least know what evil is, what you're asking God to deliver you from. And so then we went to the, to the word of God to see, well, what is evil? You know, what, what is evil? Evil we saw in sin are our bedfellows. We said that evil is the desire, sin is the action, that evil is the opposite of good. Evil is essentially just doing or not doing what God says to do. Uh, so, why do we need to be delivered from this evil? Last week we looked at the place of evil in our world so we know what evil is. Now, why do we need to be delivered from it? Because evil is a part of the world we live in. The world is filled with evil people doing evil things. And as we saw last week, these evil people will hate to have their evil pointed out to them. In fact, if you point out they're evil, that will actually make them call you evil. And the more good you do, the less they're going to like it. Uh, and so that's kind of the world we live in. Not exactly a world that is that is uh, fomenting goodness and righteousness. And so we looked at that battle against evil, that, that evil is a part of it. But the reason it's a part of this fallen world we saw last week is it's a part of the fallen human heart. Uh, If you go all the way back to Genesis, every intention of the thought of man's heart uh, is evil, is only evil continually. And then after the flood, the Lord adds to that, hey, that's true from their youth. Uh, So, so from the, this is not something new. Uh, It's not like something new that's ever happened. You know, now, oh, now man's heart is really bad today, 2022. I mean, from the beginning, this has been the heart of man. Even after, you know, you've only got righteous Noah and his family left. The Lord says, hey, I'm not going to flood the earth again because this is the state of mankind's heart. Evil is a part of the world, part of our hearts. uh, And that's no small matter because we saw last week evil has lasting consequences. Uh, evil leads to death. That's true personally. It's true for households. It's even true for nations. A person who commits evil is marching to death. A family, a house that is committing evil is marching to death. A nation that commits evil is marching to death. And so that is why we cry out for God to deliver us from that. Because you've got evil and we've got a world filled with Evil. It's everywhere, it's in everyone, and it kills. And so we want, we want, we know, we want no part of that uh, for ourselves. We're aware, though, that it is very much a part of us. So now, We talk about the Christian and evil, specifically about the Christian and evil. So we know, we know what evil is. We know what evil is doing in the world out there. But how does the Bible talk about how the Christian is supposed to handle evil themselves? How do we as Christians, as a body of believers, how do we as the bride of Christ, how are we supposed to think of evil and supposed to deal with? Uh, with evil well we know we know the world lies under the sway of the of the wicked one we saw that last week but what about us because as we saw in Romans 6 we have been set free from evil so our hearts were fallen they were slaves to sin and therefore slaves to evil but they're not anymore our hearts are now slaves of righteousness but so how do we handle as slaves of righteousness in a world that is that is filled with with evil what is our current relationship with the evil that once held us captive. What do we do with that? Do we just sort of You know, sort of disappear. We become a monastic society. You know, what do we do? How do we battle? How do we battle evil? How does the Christian handle evil? We've got a few things that we're going to look at uh, that we can look more in depth at this week uh, because we have more time. We've got a whole sermon to do it. Last week it was half of a sermon. Uh, So this week I said, well, we're really getting deep now. Uh, So how does the Christian handle evil? Let's look at a few things the Bible tells us about how we as Christians are supposed to ourselves confront or battle evil. How do we battle evil? The first thing we're going to see in the battle of evil is the Christian is supposed to stay away from evil, stay away from evil. The Christian wants nothing to do with their former master. got no desire to go back there. We're not longing to go back to Egypt and eat their leeks or their fishes or whatever. We have no desire to go back there, no desire for Pharaoh anymore. And so the Bible warns Christians to not associate with evil or with the evil. Uh, they are not to be. They're not to be around evil. Take for example Exodus twenty-three, two. It says this: You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. You spend time with evil people, and there's going to be a temptation to do evil with them. You join in with the many. And there will be a temptation for you to take part in the evil that the many are wanting to do. This is this is why for Christians, we don't follow the crowd when we choose what to do. We don't, we don't, there's... <laughs> Polling data has no place in Christendom. We don't care what polls say. We don't care how people feel about the truth. Our desire is to give the truth in a godly way, but we don't evaluate the godly way or how the godly way is received as, as, as a justification for what we do. We, we are careful that if you recognize, if you spend time with the many, there is going to be a temptation to do the wrong. Uh, and that's the, the the truth is we just shouldn't be, we shouldn't be hanging out with evil or with those who practice evil, which is why, what does Paul tell the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts or ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. Christians are not to keep company with the evil. Christians shouldn't even want to be around evil. It should rub them the wrong way. It should chafe them. They recognize that if, that if they are deceived, they'll make company with the bad, and that will end up ruining their good. So if you as a Christian are super comfortable around those who mock God, or if they are comfortable around you, that says something. When a Christian is around evil... They are ever and always meant to do so on the offensive. They're around evil so that they might proclaim the gospel to the evil. They're around evil because they want the kingdom of God to advance in that person's heart. It's always offensive. They're not just hanging out. They're not just buddy buddies. One, because that person is caught in evil themselves and you ain't someone's buddy if you're not on the offensive to rip them out of this evil kingdom and if you're not on the offensive then the then the bible tells you that kingdom's going to be on the offensive against you and that bad company will end up corrupting your or ruining your good morals your good character so the bible's always warned christians from exodus to corinthians you hang out with the wicked, you hang out with evil, and it's more likely to pull you down than you to pull it up. You preach the gospel, we're on the offensive. Jesus uh, never just chilled with evil. When he was hanging with sinners and tax collectors, he was assaulting the kingdom uh, of evil by preaching the gospel to those who were held under its sway. So we, what we miss you, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to keep away from evil. We've got to stay away from it. You see evil, you don't go, hey, let me go, let me go kind of see what that's all about. Uh, you know, and maybe, you know, I'll get close, but I won't get too close. The Bible says stay away. The Bible says, you know, flee from evil. But what do you do? What do you do uh, when evil is already there? What do you do if, okay, we're supposed to stay away from evil, but, Evil's not over there anymore. Evil is here. What do you do when our marriages are already struggling? Our parenting is already lacking. Evil has already got its foot. You know, the devil has already got a foothold. What do you do? I'm supposed to stay away, but he's got a hook in. He's already here. What do I do when evil is already present? How do Christians handle that? It's one thing to stay away, but it's another thing when the evil is there. What do we do if we've failed to keep evil away? So we're supposed to stay away from it. But what if we failed at that? What if we have taken company with the bad and it's corrupted our good? What if that's already true? What if we've already started to look more like them than they look like us? What do we do? The Bible tells us evil must be purged from the people of God. So the second thing Christians do, they stay away from evil. The second thing they do is they purge evil. They purge evil. In the Old Testament... God's laying out his law for the people and, uh, and in it there are these, these various sins that are so grievous and not even just so grievous, so cancerous to the people of God that God commands death for those who practice these things. Death for the person and the intent of that though as he lays out the intent of that, that, that punishment is to purge evil from the midst of the people. Those evils already, so, so people of God, Exodus 23, you're supposed to stay away from evil. You're supposed to, be, but what if evil's already in the camp? What do you do? God says you purge the evil from among you. And there are eight different times where the people of God are commanded to kill the offender, and they're commanded to kill the offender, the person who's committed the act, for the reason of, so that evil might be purged from among them. They should have stayed away from evil, but evil's there, so what do you do when evil's there? You don't just go, well, it's here. I guess we just, we'll just we just love them back to it's already out there. No, what do you do? You, you purge the evil. So, for example, let me give you an example. In the case of false worship, false worship, uh, I was thinking of this one because, uh, well, we just, the prophets of Baal were just killed uh, in, in 1 Kings 18 uh, in our uh, foundry history class this week. Uh, man, doesn't that sound like a fun history class? What would y'all study? It's the slaughter of the prophets of Baal. Uh, so, Everybody sign up. All right, so Deuteronomy 17, uh, listen to it, uh, down, starting in verse 2. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of your God in transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them or the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have forbidden, and it is told you and you hear of it, Then you shall inquire diligently. This is why this is going to be brought up in our government class as well. You shall inquire diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who's done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people why so you shall purge evil from your midst are you reading that but here's it even though this command for capital punishment might be mitigated in within the church the idea the idea of purging evil from the people of God, is not some dark Old Testament law that God grew out of. It's not something, that God didn't write that, and then later in the New Testament, he was like, oh, it was a hard time, kind of ashamed of how harsh I was. I didn't mean to say all that stuff about purging evil that seems kind of, you know, this this command is actually repeated by Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, God judges those outside Purge the evil person from among you. So to to show the Corinthians how they're supposed to treat evil that is among them, Paul refers back to these Old Testament passages about purging evil. So when he says purge the evil from among you, they all go, oh. Because they know what Old Testament passages he's referring to. They know what he's talking about when he says purge the evil from among you. This is is a harsh, decisive, excisive handling of evil. It's a getting rid of it, a purging. It's not playing with it. It's not light footing around it. It's a purge. That's the degree to which Christians are to stay away from evil even around them. And when evil tries to side up with them, when evil gets in the camp, when it gets in them, what do they do? They purge it. This is is one of the reasons, this is the sad reality of the state of the Christian church. Is that we don't think we're supposed to do this anymore. We don't, we refuse to do this. And so God talks about purging the evil from among us and the church is like, well, we can't do that. We can't purge it. We try to be as light, we try to purge lightly. You know, we try to we try to we try to purge and deal with sin uh, with a side-eyed look. Look, you can purge sin, and you can do so gently and patiently. But you better make sure that when you're being gentle and patient, the out the in end goal is the purging of the sin. Because what's happened is when when evil sinks its teeth into the Christian church, it becomes like a parasite. And it buries itself deep. And the only way to get rid of it is to purge it. There's no halfway measure with sin. And we know that not even just in the church. We know that in our own life, right? How many times have you gone to pluck sin out of your heart and it's like a tick? It's buried deep in there, and you pull it, and you go, I pulled it. And then you found out, oh, no, you left the head, uh, and it's now infected. Uh, that's, that's why when we're handling sin, we're going to see this. You know, this is, a lot of this is corporate and multi-level true, and we, we're always careful. I don't want us to just individualize everything. I, mean, I just don't want us to individualize everything. This is what you're supposed to do with your life. This is what, this is what we're supposed to do in our body. And this is how we're supposed to handle sin. We don't just look at the other person and go, I don't think they're purging their sin. Uh, we're supposed to purge sin. When sin becomes obvious in our membership and someone is committing sin, we, Zach uh, and I, especially have the, have the job, if we're going to, you know, call ourselves shepherds at all, we've got the job to say, hey, this sin needs to be dealt with. Even more so if it's in a, a, of Zachary and mine. We've got to handle sin. We've got to purge sin from among us. So the Christian, they stay away from sin, they stay away from it, it gets close, what do they do? They purge. There's nothing, there's nothing subtle about purging. You purge it, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to get rid of it. In the church, in your own heart, you can't play with it. You can't play nice with sin because sin's not gonna play nice with you. If one of us did have a parasite, if one of us had a tapeworm, we wouldn't be like, uh, you know, doctor would be like, oh, you gotta take this and, and it's gonna wipe that tapeworm out, go feels kind of harsh on that tapeworm is there anything that might gently coax him to uh leave my body uh i don't want to you know he's got he's got feelings uh he's like no those feelings are him eating your nerves uh you know that's not that's that's a you're feeling him he doesn't care about you that's not how we can handle sin we've got to be decisive with it because sin is so cancerous it is destroying your friend and if you do not help them purge it it will destroy you too so we've got to stay away from sin. Sin gets among us. What do we do? We have to purge it. We have to purge it. So the, the Christian purges sin. Uh, now, so that's talk, that's actions, right? We go out, we we stay away from it, gets here, we purge it. But now let's get to attitudes. Like, what do we do in our heart to make sure that happens? How do we make sure we stay away from sin? How do we make sure that we purge it? Well, part of that's gonna be how we feel about sin. How we feel about evil. Now, are we kind of uh, are we kind of like uh you know sort of neutral toward it hopefully not are we maybe a little bit light about it do we go "Eh, i don't like it but what can i do the bible says that as christians we are supposed to hate evil we're supposed to hate it romans chapter 12 verse 9 says let love be genuine and we're like yes yes and amen genuine love but that's not the end of that verse, even though we like to often cut it off there. What else are we supposed to do? Let your love be genuine and what? Abhor, and I think I think what he's actually describing is genuine love. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Abhor it. Hate it. Hold fast to what is good. Now, I know what you're thinking. And it's not that God is all of a sudden all hate in the New Testament like everybody thinks. Okay? I know you're thinking, well, that's just the New Testament where God's all hate. No. God told us to hate evil in the Old Testament too. So, for example, Psalm 97. Psalm 97 verse 10. What does it say? Oh, you who love the Lord. What? Hate evil. Makes it a command. He doesn't even say, you who love the Lord, you probably also hate evil. He says, if you love the Lord, hate evil. You love Yahweh, he is commanding you to hate evil. He preserves the lives of the saints. He delivers them from the hand of the evil, from the hand of the wicked. I mean, if we love God, then we're commanded to hate evil to hate wickedness, to hate sin. Now, our temptation, again, is to think that God is referring just to the general act of evil or the idea of evil. Oh, I hate, you know, evil. It's like the worst. I hate it. No, sort of hate the sin, not the sinner sort of idea. But the problem is that's not found in the Bible. In fact, the exact opposite is found in Scripture, which you've heard me say before. We've taught about that before. But look at what it actually says. Because the Bible is going to tell us his hatred of evil doesn't just, isn't just about the general idea of evil. It's also those who do evil. So Psalm 139 says, beginning verse 21, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? All the things that we saw last week that the wicked do. All the things that we saw last week are what describes the wicked. Those who do evil, he says, what does verse 22 say? He mitigates it a little bit. He says, but I don't go crazy in that hatred. What does he say? I hate them with complete hatred. Now, the truth is, for many of us, if we have not grown up in biblical churches or we haven't grown up with the Bible ourselves, this verse makes us uncomfortable. We look at that and go, that's like the exact opposite of what everyone's always told me to feel. I hate the evil, but I don't hate the person doing it. Here God comes and says, look, You hate those who hate the Lord. You hate those who commit evil. In fact, you are commanded to hate them with complete hatred. Complete hatred. You can't even mitigate your hatred. We're commanded to hate those who hate God, to loathe them. The Christian hates evil and they hate the evildoer. But we're not hypocrites. So... So that's how we are in our heart. The, we recognize we got to stay away from evil that comes in. We purge it from among us. We, we hate it uh, and, and we hate it with a complete hatred, the evil itself and those who practice evil. But we're not hypocrites. So that hatred of evil begins chiefly not out there, but chiefly in here. The battle against evil and the hating of sin and the hating of those who do it cannot begin by looking out there. It must begin by looking in the mirror. That must be the first step in the battle against sin. Because the Bible is going to tell us if that's not the first step, you're not actually going to do the others. You're either going to not do it or you're going to do it hypocritically. You're going to do it in a way that just is mad at everyone else's sin that isn't like your sin. So the Bible says when you begin this purging of sin, you begin to hate it, all these things, the first place you better look and the first person you better purge it from had better not be all those people over there, they've really got a problem with sin. We got to get rid of that. It better be a look at yourself and a purging from yourself. You better hate your own sin. You better be killing your own sin or it will be killing you. You better better mortify your flesh. You better kill your sin. So the Christian begins this battle in themselves. The Christian begins the battle against sin in themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So in the same same book where, where, you know, Paul has been talking about, you know, purge the evil person from among you, what does he say beginning in verse 6 of chapter 5? Your boasting is not good. purges sin chiefly and firstly from themselves. That's the first place that we fight against evil. The first place we fight against evil is here. Our own hearts, our own church. We, the, 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 in this community aspect is, is not lost here. The, the work to purge it from the, from the world is not, is not set aside in this. But the first steps to purging sin from the world is to purge it from ourselves. The first step to you removing evil from the world around you, the first step in you being able to fight evil in those outside who are blind to the logs they have in their eye is to do what? What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7 verse 5? That the first steps of purging are always inward. You hypocrite. It's always good when Jesus begins uh, that way. Right? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, now this is often where the world gets it wrong. Notice it doesn't say, "Hey, worry about your own eye, buddy." Uh, that's not. That's what the world thinks. Hey you know, judge not, you worry about your own eye and I'll worry about my eye. No, he, Jesus says, yeah, get the log out of your eye so that you can then take the splinter out of your brother's eye. He doesn't say get the log out of your own eye so you can see just how many splinters are. You got no idea how many splinters are in your brother's eye. Woo. Uh, That's not what he says. He says, take the log out so that you might also. So we remove our evil first. We look inward. We see our sins, the log that it is. We remove that evil first. We purge that so that we can help our brother remove their evil. You're, and, and, and this is assuming we've got great love for each other. This is assuming you want to help your brother. This is assuming you hate when your brother sins. You want them to live a godly life. This isn't like, hey, if you get the log out of your eye, you can go up to your brother and like, be like, ha ha ha, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. This isn't what that is. This is assuming you really care for one another. That you love one another. That you love your husband. You love your wife. You don't want to see sin. This isn't about winning. This isn't about being right. This isn't about being better. This is about hating sin and wanting to kill it. Is If you really want to, then what do you have to do? You've got to look at yourself first, and you've got to get rid of any logs in your own eye. The battle against sin must begin with you. We've got to hate sin so much, but we've got to not be hypocrites that doesn't hate our sin. It's okay with the things we struggle with. They think the worst sins in the world are all the sins that we're not doing. Gotta hate our own sin. The Christian has to hate evil. But the Christian cannot be someone who hates the sin out there and doesn't hate the sin in their own hearts. Who looks at the people around them and think, oh my goodness, look at how they act, look at their, look at their families, look at their marriages, look at their, that's so messed up, and then be an ungodly husband. Then yourself be an ungodly wife. And be okay with it. Make excuses for your sin. But really think, oh, if that sin out there was purged, oh, that sin out there is the worst. God knows your heart. God knows that you're pretending to hate sin. And what you're really doing is trying to, as we saw with the rich young ruler, you're really just trying to justify yourself. You're really just saying, oh, but what about, what about them? You know, who's my neighbor? Who do I really have to do this to? What about them? Ooh, look how bad they are. Oh, I feel so much better about me. Do you really hate evil? You're going to hate your evil first. You're not going to be okay with the fact that you are not patient with your wife. You're not going to be okay with the fact that you have no self-control. You're not going to be okay with the fact that you're a, you know, continual dripping of rain in the household. You're not going to be okay with any of that because you hate evil. And you can't be upset with evil out there if you're not first upset with evil in here because Jesus comes and says, you hypocrite. And we laugh, but that's never a good thing for Jesus to say to you. But if you're trying to pull splinters out from out there while swinging logs around it in your own eyes, one, you're not going to be effective. And two, you're going to be a hypocrite because you're keeping your own sin. You're treasuring your sin to not get for us to not get rid of our sin. You know what we're doing? We're treasuring it because we have everything we need. We're not slaves to sin anymore. They're slaves to sin. And we're like, "What are you guys going to quit sin? They're slaves to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. You have the power of Christ in you to overcome any sin. And we make these excuses like, well, it's just my personality or I just struggle. I'm just an anxious person, whatever it might be. No, you have the power of Christ. I mean, we can, we, we can take every thought captive for obedience to Christ. Every thought we're actually commanded to do so. So the only reason you and I still have those sins in our pockets, those sins that we look past and look beyond, is because we are treasuring them more than we treasure Christ. We are not hating them. And if we keep them, then we're showing that the one we really hate is him. So if you know the sin in your heart, we're talking about the battle against evil. And as I'm talking about, hey, look in your own heart. You don't even have to have a mirror because you've got the spirit. And so when I was talking about think of your own sin, the truth is we probably went and that sin like we thought of one or two, we might have even been like, let's, call, let's slow down a little bit. Holy Spirit. Because we thought of so many that we've got to deal with. It's not like we don't know that they're there. So what I'm saying is, Christian, we've got to hate that evil. You've got to kill it. You cannot be bedfellows with it. You cannot let it be the bad company that is going to corrupt even more. Because you may think, oh, this is just a little part of my life. But So I may not be a great husband, but I'm a great father. You, If you are not a godly husband, you will burn your home to the ground. And God will say, and you knew it was going to happen because you saw that fire and how you treated your wife and you thought it's not a big deal. I'll keep it over here. And it burned it all down. And God said, I warned you. I warned you what sin does. I told you to purge it. And you thought you could manage it. You weren't managing it. You were treasuring it. You were loving it more than you loved your children. You were loving it more than you loved me or you would have gotten rid of it. You would have killed it. But instead, look at all the bodies in your wake. We have to hate evil and that battle must begin in us. Any sin that you thought of as we are even talking about this, you had better be crying out to God, God, help me to kill it and God, forgive me for treasuring it. However long I've been treasuring it, forgive me for holding on to it. Forgive me for making excuses for it. God, kill it kill my attitude, kill my mouth, kill whatever. But you cannot be okay with it. The battle against sin is a real one and it must begin, uh, begin in us. We're going to stop there. I've got so much more to talk about evil and the Christian battle against it. And uh, it would seem silly to run quickly through that. Uh, to more ways to battle evil, and that's a that's a good spot to stop. So let's take a moment. Let's pray. And let's let's use what what we just talked about. Let's think about. Let's begin the battle, church. Let's begin the battle in today among us. In our own hearts. So right now, take a moment. And if as we were as we were going through this and looking at these verses and talking about these things. Was there a sin that God, in his grace and mercy, showed you that you've been treasuring? Is there a sin that maybe you haven't been treasuring? Maybe you just are seeing it for the first time now. Well, here's the battle. Here's the battle. Are you going to kill it? Or are you going to look past it? Are you going to fight the battle to be a person of self-control? Or are you going to look past it? Are you going to fight the battle to not be a a, a wife who is a continual dripping of rain? Are you going to look past it? Are you going to be a child who honors their father and their mother? Or are you going to say, oh, but I'm really good in all these other areas? Are you going to look past it? We've got to hate the evil. God's showing it to you and he's showing us. I mean, this this is prophetic for us in this way. He has shown us where this evil will lead. He showed us last week where evil always leads, death, and not just death for you. Because bad company corrupts all those around it. It destroys, it destroys people, homes, nations. So if God has just shown you a sin today, right now, just confess it to him and cry out for mercy and grace. Thank him that him showing you this sin is part of what he promises when he says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Thank you that it's part of what he promises when he says in Ephesians 5 that the job of Christ is to wash us with the water of the word. That that's what God is doing to you. He's making you holy, without spot or blemish or any such thing. He's making you blameless. He's using his word. to He's killing that sin in you. So cherish that washing. We, we all know what it's like when you wash children and they hate to get in the bath and they hate to be scrubbed. Some of us need a really good scrubbing of a particular sin. Some of us, God has to deal with that sin with a bristle pad because we've allowed that sin to concrete itself in our hearts. We have so treasured that sin and made it precious that we need that sin ripped away from us. We will not let it go lightly because we've excused it for so long. Do not chafe at the bristle pad of the Lord. Do not chafe when his word comes and must scrub firmly against you. Rejoice that he has not abandoned you. When you loved your evil more than you loved him. Rejoice that he was faithful to you when you were faithless. And then kill that sin before it kills you. Father, we come to you today and we know, God, we, we, as we started, Father, this battle does not begin in us without the work of Christ to redeem us. Without him setting us free from evil like we saw last week. Without his work in us, Father, we're not fighting this fight. We're not fighting against evil. We're slaves to it. We are so thankful for what you've done for us. We we praise you for our salvation. But part of that praise, Father, must mean that we hate our old master. and We want no part of him. And we would all say that, Father. We would say that to each other. So let us live that in our lives, God. Please help us to do that. Help us to hate us and help us to see any of it and to kill it immediately. Lest it grow in secret. And become a greater, a greater thing than it is even now. Father, help us to pluck it up from the root. Teach us to stay away from sin and teach us to purge it from among ourselves. Please, Father, we want to be holy. We want to be good image bearers of you. We want to represent you and your kingdom to the kingdom of darkness. Father, help us to do that. Help us to obey you. Help us to hate evil. And to love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.